Thanks, sir. Morning, friends. Great to see you this morning. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. We're really flying through the book of Mark, aren't we? Well, compared to John, yes, we are. We really are. Uh, our passage this morning is Mark 7, 1 through 23. That's a large portion of the word. Uh, I'm confident we'll make it through, though. Uh, and the reason I've chose such a, a large portion is because this all ties together. And the, uh, the punch comes at the very end of the passage. But you'll note... Uh, that the word defile and defiled is used throughout. Um, some other words are repeated not as many times as defiled, but that one uh, clearly a, a key part of this text. So let's read our passage to begin with today. Mark 7, 1 through 23. Hear God's word. Let him who has ears to hear, hear the word. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to, to the tradition of men. And he said to them, uh, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? 
Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Uh, may he bless what we've just read, and let's ask for help in understanding uh, our text this morning. Father, we ask that uh, you would give us grace, that you would uh, help us to hear your word and to understand what's here. I ask uh, for myself for clarity in speaking, for clarity in thinking, and that you would help my voice to be strong this morning. And Lord, I pray that as your body, your people, you would unclog our ears to hear the truth that we might give our attention to listening, that your word would speak to us and transform us, uh, equip us uh, to minister to those around us, strengthen us with your grace for this, Father. Uh, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On uh, Sunday... Uh, December 3rd, 1967, Dr. Christian Bernard of Cape Town, South Africa, and a surgical team of 30 shocked the world by performing the first successful heart transplant. Fast forward uh, to today, over 50 years later, and there are now uh, 3,500 heart transplants performed every year, according to one medical journal. The man at that time, though, was Louis Washkansky, 55. He received a new heart from a man who had just passed away in a car accident. Un unfortunately, Mr. Washkansky also died a short time later, not because his transplant transplanted heart failed, but because he contracted pneumonia. But we come into our day where these, uh, well, they're almost routine now. 3,500 a year, uh, approximately 10 heart transplants a day. And over half of those are performed in the United States. But this doctor who performed the very first one, Dr. Christian Bernard, he was speaking at a press conference held at the United Nations. Remember that peacekeeping organization that we all love so much? Uh, Dr. Bernard said this in his press conference, the whole United Nations needs a new heart. But unfortunately, I can't transplant that sort of heart. As a scientist, he continued, I regard the heart as only a pump. But even as a scientist, I am affected by the mystique of the heart. It is love, understanding, tolerance, and forgiveness. And he wrapped up his, his remarks with the hope that such attitudes could be transplanted. Dr. Bernard 
was actually agreeing with the Bible in his remarks. The whole United Nations needs a new heart. He was agreeing with the Lord's words uh, in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 5. When the Lord appeared to Israel on Mount Sinai, Israel was terrified of God's voice. And they looked at Moses and said, we don't want to hear anything else. We don't want to hear anymore. You go talk to the Lord and you come back and tell us and, and whatever he says is fine with us. And this is how the Lord replied to Israel or, or to Moses. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Dr. Bernard was also agreeing with the prophet Jeremiah. His description of the heart is, is more familiar to us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Dr. Bernard was even agreeing with what Jesus said about the heart in our passage today. But there aren't many around anymore in our world, in our culture, in this era, who would agree with Dr. Bernard, with Moses, with Jeremiah, or even with Jesus. I believe the majority would not say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Don't we frequently hear in the media uh, the notion that there is inherent good in people? Don't we hear about people uh, talking about positive energy and about the triumph of the human spirit? Not many these days would agree with Dr. Bernard that the world is in desperate need of a heart transplant. But this is what we see in these verses that lay before us this morning, that we need a heart transplant. Well, well where do we get it? Some people do recognize that we need a new heart. Where does it come from? How do we get this new heart? Well, that's what our passage will tell us today. And it's not where most people look. Most people look to adding something to their lives, some religious practice, uh, some... Uh, some church attendance, uh, maybe even membership at that church. And there's a, there's a shift towards religious things to find that new heart. It can never provide it. That's what we'll see today. Mark gives us three descriptions of the Pharisees in the verses before us. He describes three things uh, to us in these verses. And first of all, he describes the tradition of the Pharisees. The Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples are eating with unholy hands. Let me point out three things to you in this tradition. Uh, the first is we need to take note of the people who are engaged in this conflict with Jesus. Um, uh, unless we understand uh, who we're talking about, we'll have a difficult time understanding our passage. And Mark's going to name two different groups of people. The first, of course, is uh, our good old friends, the Pharisees. 
They were introduced back in chapter 2. Um, they had a conflict with Jesus about what he was doing on the Sabbath. And it went so poorly that they joined together with the Herodians and hatched a plot of how they could kill Jesus. Um, uh, verse 1 says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. The Pharisees originally had a genuine interest in holiness. And they wanted to give their fellow Jews precise guidelines on what was required to be holy and to prevent people from becoming unholy they put fences so to speak uh, guardrails around the law of God to ensure that people didn't break God's commands they added extra commands to prevent them from even getting close the first instance of this is Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, remember they were commanded not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And, and as Eve explains this to the serpent, she says, we shall not eat it or touch it. It's our um, human inclination to add fences so that we don't even, not only don't we break the law, we don't even come close. Well, the Pharisees called these extra commands, the tradition of the elders. And so in addition to the written word of God, the Pharisees believed there was also an oral tradition. And that means it wasn't written down. And they believed that God himself gave this oral tradition directly to Moses. And that from Moses, it kept being passed down through successive generations until these oral traditions landed with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees believed that these traditions carried as much weight as the Word of God did. Well, not only there are the Pharisees, the, there are scribes present, as verse 1 says. Some of the scribes who'd come from Jerusalem. Scribes, are, most of them were also Pharisees. This is kind of a subset of the Pharisees. Sometimes they're referred to law, uh, called lawyers in the New Testament, not as we would think of, but lawyers because they were experts in Jewish law. Uh, they were professional scholars. They were the experts on the law of God and how to apply it to people. And this group, it says they came from Jerusalem. This is like uh, someone coming from headquarters uh, to, to uh, support and strengthen the local opposition to Jesus. So these are the people involved, Pharisees and, and scribes in this conflict. But we go on and, and we see next their practice. What's this controversy about? It's about their practice of washing. Look at verse 2. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. Um, the washing had nothing to do with germs and hygiene, germ theory, or anything related to public health. This washing was about holiness. Or you could say what they called ritual purity, ceremonially uh, pure is what they were aiming to to appear before the Lord they had to be clean uh, ritually pure 
And the Pharisees see some of the disciples eating uh, without hand, with hands that had not been washed, with hands that had been defiled, you could uh, defiled or hands that were unholy. There was a specific instructions on how to wash hands, if you can believe that, the amount of water to use, uh, how you used it on your hands, and you had to do it the right way or else your hands were unholy. It's nothing about singing happy birthday while you're washing your hands to make sure you do it long enough. This is, this is really specific and, and gritty stuff. That's the way it was. Uh, and eating with hands like this, it's not that they think it's gross. Do you know where your hands have been? It's that they had unholy hands, and that would have made them unclean and unable uh, to come before the Lord. Now, here's the reality. There's only one occasion where uh, someone in Israel is instructed to wash their hands, and that was the priest before he made a sacrifice. But the Pharisees have extended this practice to everyone, to the entire nation. That's why verse 3 says, uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. But the, the Pharisees extended it to all of Israel. And, and the Pharisees themselves took this washing even further than that. Look at verse 4. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now, this is not talking about washing your hands, as we've already mentioned. The, the disciples failed to do that. The word wash is, is the same word we get baptized from. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they immerse themselves in water. In other words, you come home from Target, the first thing you do is hop in the shower. And that might be a good idea, you know. <laughs> and, and it goes on, uh, 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 unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing uh, again, the word baptism, so we're talking about immersing these things in water, uh, cups and pots and copper vessels, and dining couches, of all things. All these household item, items, as well as their bodies, were immersed in, in water. This is the practice that they're harping on with Jesus. It, uh, it's crazy to modern ears that this even existed, but this is what's going on. And then third, from, from this group of people, we see uh, the probing, or it, could, it probably should say the prodding, because they're prodding Jesus about the behavior of his disciples, and it's kind of an inquisition. Look at verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands, or eat with unholy hands? The question is about the disciples, but this is aimed right at Jesus. Why do your disciples not walk according to our tradition? You see, they want to point out to Jesus that their tradition has authority. Who, who, 
are your disciples that they don't wash like we tell people to? Uh, how dare they disregard our authority and our tradition? And Jesus, how dare you teach them to do this? Who, who do you think you are? They're trying to establish, reestablish their own authority here. But they also want to humiliate Jesus in public. Uh, this is a culture where a good reputation really mattered. Really mattered. And for a teacher to gain a bad reputation would be the end of his teaching ministry. And this is why they're asking these probing things. Why do your disciples not hold to our tradition? So this is the tradition that we're talking about. It's about washing hands. It will extend to other things, as we'll see. So this is the first mark, uh, description that Mark gives us. Uh, their tradition of the Pharisees. But he goes on to give us a second description. The second thing he describes to us is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. You know, they claimed to be upholding and protecting the word of God, but in reality, what they were doing was canceling the word of God. They weren't upholding it at all. They were making parts of it null and void. And Mark's going to say two things here. He's going to explain it to us, offer an explanation of their hypocrisy. Going beyond the way things looked on the surface, Jesus plunges straight to the heart of the matter. Look at verse 6 in your Bible with me. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah because Isaiah gives, uh, gives a perfect description of the Pharisees and scribes. What Israel had done centuries before, the Pharisees were doing now. Their faith... Okay, don't miss the air quotes. The faith of the Pharisees was completely external. Their faith was all on the outside. Their faith was made up of religious practices and traditions that their ancestors had invented, but had nothing to do with their inner man. And in this particular case, uh, the idea of inner purity had been replaced by these external washings. Jesus describes the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Listen to, this, listen to these words from Matthew. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. One of the famous ocean liners of the past was the Queen Mary. Uh, the largest ship to cross the ocean in her day, it was launched in 1936. Um, through four decades in a world war, she served until she was later 
uh, retired, and she was anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. Well, they were converting her to a hotel. Her three massive smokestacks, you know the kind I mean, the, those big things right in the middle, they lifted those off of the Queen Mary to be scraped down to the metal and repainted. But the minute those smokestacks hit the docks, they crumbled. They crumbled to pieces because there was nothing left of the three-quarter-inch steel plate from which the smokestacks had been formed. All that was left now was more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied year after year. The inside had rusted away. When Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, he meant they had no substance. They only looked good on the outside, only on the exterior. That's always been God's uh, concern with the condition of our hearts. His chief concern, and we see this throughout Scripture. Now, no mistake, he is concerned with the external too. He does ask us, to conform to his, his word, but he's more concerned with the, with the condition of our hearts. David said this to his son Solomon, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. David tells Solomon, it's really what's going on in here, son, that you need to pay attention to. The Lord searches all hearts and wants a heart that is wholly devoted to him. Then years later, years and years later, um, the prophet Hosea wrote about the condition of Israel. And, and the Lord speaking through Hosea uh, addresses uh, the idea that they're, they're, they've got sacrifices down. But the Lord says to them, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He commanded sacrifices to be given, hadn't he? And burnt offerings to be given. But he says, I desire steadfast love. It's, it's the inner man that, that God is more concerned about. And so I have to stop and ask you right now, what about you? Could you be called a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones? That's really a disgusting image. It's kind of the image a mausoleum gives us of ornate stone, but bones inside. God's not interested in your religious appearance. How you look on the outside. What he wants is your heart. He wants your whole person, and that's what I mean, and that's what the Bible means by heart. He's not just talking about your feelings, nor is he just referring to this pump in the middle of our chest. In the Bible, the heart was a, a way to refer to the whole person, the whole of who they were. And this is what God wants. He wants all of you. 
he doesn't want you to punch a clock on Sunday morning. To just show up and, and sit there and mouth some words. He wants your heart in it. He wants every part of you. So this is the explanation of their hypocrisy. They honored God with their mouths, but their hearts had rusted away. They were just paint on the outside. Their hearts were far from him. What a terrible and awful verdict. Their hearts were far from him. Well, Mark goes on now to give us an example of this hypocrisy. He, 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 Jesus drills down and, and gives them a very specific example. And this example begins in verse 8. Look there in your copy of God's word. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Jesus begins um, by introducing and quoting the fifth commandment in verse 10. Honor your father and mother. That would include caring for them in old age, or older age, perhaps. And, and then to demonstrate how serious this commandment was, Jesus gave an extreme example of what happened when someone dishonored their parents. Look in verse 10, right in the middle, he goes on to say, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That means to speak evil of your parents, to use foul or abusive language, to curse them. Talking to your parents like this earned you the death penalty under the old covenant. God's way of demonstrating that this command was not to be taken lightly. Wow. Hey guys, watch what you say to mom and dad. I'm just saying. Well, then Jesus went on to describe how the Pharisees were dodging this commandment. How they were... Uh, doing an end run, how they avoided keeping it. This begins in verse 11. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. So the, the idea is if a young person did well in life, it would have been all young men back then, but if a young man or young woman uh, did well uh, with their career and, and wanted to express their gratitude to the Lord, they might dedicate their possessions to the Lord. That doesn't mean that they give everything away. They're still able to use their possessions. It just means that their possessions are dedicated to God. But if what, ha what would they do if um, their parents, if a situation arose where they would need to provide for their parents, if they suddenly became ill, if there was a financial emergency, the tradition of the Pharisees maintained that their possessions could not be used to help them. They would not 
void the vow you made. They said that vow you made to, to dedicate these things to God must be kept regardless of the fifth commandment. They believed keeping the vow was more important than obeying the command of God. And remember, this vow is their tradition. Sinclair Ferguson sums it up this way. Under the guise of religious faithfulness, the Pharisees encouraged disobedience to the law. They're taking hypocrisy to a whole new level here. They claim to be careful with the law of God. They, they put those extra fences around the law. They claim to be meticulous and thorough. But Jesus pointed out that in this example, they were actually setting aside the word of God, rejecting it in favor of oral tradition. This is their hypocrisy. Mark describes one more thing to us in these verses. And the third thing he explains to us, describes to us, is the theology of the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus explains that the theology of the Pharisees is deeply flawed. And let me mention two things here. First, let's, let's find out what the flaw in their theology was. Jesus explains the error uh, of their theology in verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, uh, Jesus wants everyone to hear what he's about to say now. And for one of the rare occasions, Jesus is actually gathering a group of people to himself. Instead of trying to escape the crowd, he, he wants people to hear this. Uh, There's some of the most revolutionary words in in the whole New Testament. And in 15, he goes on to say, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Nothing you take in can make you unholy. It's what comes out of you that makes you unholy. In contrast to the Pharisees, who believe that if you came in contact with something or ate something, that would make you unholy. Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's not, that's wrong. It's what comes out of a person that makes them unholy. The Pharisees are concerned with surface impurities that could be washed away with water. And Jesus, on the other hand, was concerned with internal impurities that could not be washed away with water. And so what we're seeing, the reason it's so radical, is this idea of contact with something. It was behind so many of the commands about purity under the old covenant. Jesus here cancels them under the new covenant. The flaw in their theology was that external things make a person unholy. And Jesus turns it completely around. In reality, it's the internal things coming out of someone that make them unholy. Jesus goes further, even further now, and becomes even more specific with the 12. 
Jesus explains further that what it all boils down to is the condition of the heart. He talks about this first in uh, verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Jesus mentions two things in connection to the heart. First, he talks about what goes into someone. And as we've noted, what goes into someone from the outside doesn't make them unholy. It doesn't enter the heart. Uh, eating, let me give a, uh, just a, a dumb example would be a, a, a Jewish person eating pork. It doesn't enter their heart, does it? No. It doesn't affect their essential person. Remember, the heart is who they are at the core. Uh, Jesus says what goes into them winds up in the latrine. He says since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. And he adds this. Mark adds this explanation to his readers, the parentheses. Thus he declared all foods clean. I, I, I know it might be foreign to us uh, this is a, a unbelievably radical thing for Jesus to say here. Under the Old Covenant, you've read the Old Testament and you've noticed that there were specific things Israel could not eat. They were forbidden to eat certain things. But under the New Covenant, no food was off, off limits. This was such an earth-shaking announcement that it took a long time for the early church to catch on. They had great... Uh, Peter is here. Peter can't believe it. Listen to what Peter said in Acts 10, just so you, you, you understand what a, what a radical idea this was. Uh, this is when Peter's... Um, uh, about to go to Cornelius' house in uh, Acts 10.9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And first of all, we'll just say, don't pray while you're hungry, okay? All right? Don't pray right before lunchtime. Uh, but all kidding aside, in it, in this sheet that descended, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, things that were forbidden in the Old Covenant. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Peter says back to the Lord, by no means, Lord. Are you, are you kidding, Lord? For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common or defiled or unholy. 
oh, wow. And so we grasp from that that this was a earth-shaking moment in the life of the church, a, a transitioning from old to new covenants. Thus he declared all foods clean. And this is now our motto at New Covenant, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Jesus talks about what goes in, and now nothing that goes in is unclean. Uh, nothing, nothing goes into the heart. Uh, and now he talks about next, of course, what comes out. Uh, it's what comes out of someone that makes them unclean or unholy. In verse 20, Jesus goes on to say, and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him, what makes him unholy. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And at first glance, you might say to yourself, whew, <laughs> glad that doesn't apply to me. You think that uh, maybe you've dodged the bullet. But Jesus said, I'm not sure if I have this verse or not. Let me look. Yes, here we go. The law said don't, don't murder, but Jesus said this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, not so fast. This list might refer to you. Okay, well, maybe murder is something I have done in terms of hating my brother. But at least I haven't committed adultery. I've never been unfaithful. Well, that's what the law said, but here's what Jesus said. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that is true for women, just as it is for men. Hmm, not so fast. I think we would all have to say that we see ourselves in this list in one way or another. Evil thoughts, evil, um, evil plans. That's kind of the heading for all these things. Uh, coveting, having a, an evil eye or, or an appetite for what belongs to someone else. Envy is the evil eye that watches someone else's possessions. Pride, the sin of exalting yourself and, and praising your own accomplishments and holding everyone else in contempt. I think indeed we would have to quickly conclude that, wow, this does apply to us, doesn't it? We are here. And we would have to chime in with Jeremiah and Dr. Bernard. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Pharisees had nothing that could cleanse the human heart. Their rituals and washings merely dealt with things on the surface. They could not cleanse the heart of man. Their theology of man and their theology of sin was deeply flawed. And what man needs, what you and I need, is an entire heart transplant. We needed a new heart. We need a new heart that wants to follow the Lord. That's the first thing. Outside of Christ, you and I don't want to follow the Lord. We don't want anything to do with him. Now, we might attend a religious service, and I say that, when I say religious, I mean it dripping with sarcasm. A religious service, it's, it's a bad word for me. It's religious in the extent that it's just a ceremony. It's just all on the outside. And, and I would not call this a religious service. I would call this the assembly of the saints. No religious service can cleanse your heart. Uh, so man has to be given the want to to follow the Lord. We read about this in, in Romans 8, that without the Spirit of God, we can't please Him. It's impossible for us to obey His Word. We can't do it. I, in fact, I, I don't think you believe me. So I'm going to just read a couple verses. For those who live according to the flesh, in other words, those who live in line with their sinful nature, set their minds on the things of the flesh. They, they think and have their mindset on the sinful nature. But those who live according to the Spirit, those who live um, in line with the Spirit of God, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, in other words, in their sinful nature, unbelievers cannot please God. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Oh, the first thing is we have to be given the want to. Because according to that passage, we don't want to. And, and not only that, uh, we, we must be given the want to, and we must given, be given the could do. That by God's Spirit living in us is the only way that we can turn and follow Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Oh, we need a heart transplant. 
We need a new heart. And, and this is the very thing God promised in Ezekiel 36. We read it moments ago. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, that means soft and, and malleable and submissive, not, not a heart of the sinful nature. I will give you a heart of uh, flesh, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's God's spirit in us that causes us uh, to walk and helps us to be careful. Paul said it like this, this glorious truth, we, we give it a $10 word, and the $10 word is regeneration. Listen to Paul say it. Uh, nope, don't listen to Paul. He saved us, Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, nothing like the Pharisees, nothing that's merely external, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He describes it as a washing, a cleansing, uh, that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our lives so that we can trust Christ. One pastor sums it up this way. Please, please hear his explanation. A radical change in the human heart is what is needed. Resetting the hands on the clock will not do it. Education and culture will not do it. Social reform, as needed as it may be, will not do it. Even revolution in a new world order will not make it. There is only one answer, regeneration. And there is no power in the world which can make a bad heart good. Only the gospel can do that. Where do we get a new heart? Where do we get this heart transplant that we so desperately need, that, that the world so desperately needs, as Christian Bernard said, that the United Nations needs? We get it from God's Spirit who regenerates us, makes us new, as the word regeneration implies. And he gives us the inclination uh, so we can hear the word. And so that we can respond to it. And so we can put our faith in the atoning death of Jesus. It's got to come first. I mean, you know, we're talking millinanoseconds. I'm not talking about this big gap in time. Regeneration and then faith and repentance. Regeneration, faith and repentance. When the Spirit opens our eyes and ears... We can and want to trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord. But my friend, you need a new heart. I need a new heart. And where does this heart transplant come from? From God's Spirit. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. 
by the washing of regeneration, even the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This, uh, Jesus corrects the theology of the Pharisees, points out their flaw, and says it all boils down to the heart of man. So, Jeremiah was correct. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or as Jesus has just said, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So let me, let me try to apply this as we conclude. First, you need a new heart. Has the Lord given you a new heart? How would I know? Do you sense any kind of desire for God's word, his people, uh, fellowship with the Lord? Is any of that present? Because the notable absence of any of those things would be bad. Man, I hate this place. I don't care about the Bible. I don't give a flip about these people. Brother, you need a new heart. We get new desires with that new heart. Things that incline us to the Lord. Mom and Dad, your kid needs a new heart. I mean, your kid needs a new heart. Your kid's heart is not okay. I'm just stating what Scripture says. If it's the same thing was true about you. Your kid's sweet and gooey on the outside, but he's got a heart that is not in tune with Christ. And he is going to need a new heart. Your neighbors, your co-workers need a new heart. They are not neutral. They just need some really hard convincing and then they'll become a Christian. No. That's not how it works. I, I, I believe I read it to you in Romans 8. They cannot please God. They are not inclined towards Him. They might be inclined to the externals Religious, religious services, religious things. But friend, a sinner is not seeking the Lord. And your friend, your neighbor, needs a new heart. Needs for the Spirit of God to give them that soft heart and to remove the heart of stone uh, so that they can... Uh, Turn to Christ in repentance and faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray uh, that with this, we will not only have a high view of you, as Jamie mentioned earlier, but our view of man would be appropriate to that. We are not willing and we are not able to, 
all these wicked things come out of our natural come out of us naturally lord from the heart and lord i pray for anyone here who who doesn't know you yet that you would grant them through your spirit's work a new heart wash them father uh, create them anew and Father, give us the compulsion to share this, not only with our families to begin with, but then those around us. They need a new heart to, to see and hear and understand the word. Lord, I pray that you would allow us first to believe this, what you've said to us this morning. And Lord, let us, let us share your son's death on the cross with that mindset that they must be given a heart, a new heart to believe. God, do this in us as a body that we would share the good news with those around us. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen.